Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. What do you think? Of? You would this morning turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 2. We're going to continue our vulnerable series this morning. You'll have to give me a break. I think uh, Lamentations, or I'm sorry, uh, my chains are gone is impossible to preach after for a solid five minutes. It's like you got to just refine your, your center here. Lamentations chapter 2. We're going to cover the first five verses this morning. Jeremiah the prophet writes, How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. How he has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins the strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning in lamentation. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we open your word, we pray that as the hymn we sang, that your word would be the anchor of our hope. God, your word is how you speak to us. Your word is how you change us. Your word is how you reveal your nature, your love, your mercy, and your wrath. Lord, you are a God of justice, a God of grace, a God of peace. God, help us to see those things this morning. God, help us to be challenged by your truth. Help us to have our toes stomped on a little bit this morning. But God, most of all, help us to glorify you in everything that we do and everything that we say. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been challenged by God to do something that you feel completely incapable to do? Have you ever been challenged by God to do something that you feel completely incapable to do? If you haven't, it might just be because you're like me and you like to rest on your own capabilities. You like to stay in a place that's safe. You like to stay in a place that's comfortable. You like to stay in a place where you're in control, where you feel like you have the reins, where you feel like you have the skills capable to complete the task. 
what he's asking you to do is so uncomfortable, it's so against your old nature, it's so scary that you can't imagine doing it. In my life right now, God has me there. Right now, God has me there. God is challenging me to write my life as a blank check to him and say, God, you fill it in. God, here is my family. God, here is my comfort. God, here is my control. God, here is my reasoning. Here is all the things that I think I can put into this little box and say, God, this is what I'm capable of doing. And as I read this text, as I see the horror that Jerusalem is going through, as I see the horror, the horror that the Israelites are going through, it's easy for me to judge them, but we're not really that much different. This is terrifying for many reasons because I like to be in control. I like to be the one that has at least one hand on the wheel, right? I'm not really a two hand on the wheel guy. I'm, I'm not so, you know, white knuckle death grip on the steering wheel that, that I'm, I'm so afraid of what's going to happen every single foot of the road. But I, I like to have one hand on the wheel. Or we say, God, yep, you can have this. God, you, you can be Lord of this hand while we're still driving with one hand on the wheel. Sometimes we might come in the seasons where we're feeling awfully, awfully strong and awfully you know, faithful and maybe we're just driving with the one finger or the, the finger and the thumb on the bottom of the wheel. Or maybe we have our coffee, we have something else, we're trying to hit the, the turn signal or to turn the lights on or to flash them, so maybe we put our, our knee on the bottom of the wheel Right? I've never done that before. Uh, but, but we like to have at least, at least one hand on the wheel. <laughs> one hand on the wheel. I like me and my family to be comfortable. I like to pursue dreams and challenges that I think I'll enjoy. I like to plan ahead for the coming day, the coming week, the coming month the coming year and beyond. I like to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, not only for me, but for my wife and for my kids, all the way from eight to newborn, like you're two months old. Here's your one-year plan, baby. Right, oh, now you're two. Here's your five-year plan, baby. And now here's your 10. I want to be in control of these things. So while it's easy to condemn the Israelites for their rebellion towards God, we have to ask the question, are we really that different? Are we really that different? Or are there principles here that we are supposed to adopt just like the Israelites were supposed to adopt? Is there a reason for calamity? Is there a reason for destruction? Is there a reason for sickness? Is there a reason for death? Is there a reason for all of these things that we read in Lamentations chapter 2? This morning in our text, we see what I call four aspects of living under the calamity of God. Four aspects of living under the calamity of God. 
when we choose our own way, when we sin against God and we chase the false gods of this world, how can we expect life to look? Number one, calamity under the hand of God destroys the monuments that we've created. Calamity under the hand of God destroys the monuments that we've created. Verse 1 and 2, Jeremiah writes, How the Lord in his anger, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. Remember last week, Pastor Davis said, Is there a reason or is there a season for what you're going through? Right? In Israel's case, there's a reason. There's a reason why they're going through what they're going through, and it's because of their sin. It's because of their rebellion toward God. It's because they were afraid to write their life as a blank check to the God who created them and called them out of bondage, set them free, and now they won't write the check. He cast down, Jeremiah continues, he, uh, he cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, again, how the Lord in his anger, in his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. In his wrath, God destroyed the temple and every other beautiful building and structure that the Israelites built. He destroyed it all. The place where the presence of God dwelt with man was destroyed. The place where they sacrificed for their sins was destroyed. The place that once shined so bright as a light for the entire world to see was destroyed. The cloud by day and fire by night that, that once led Israel through the wilderness was now veiled, now veiled their city in darkness and despair. All of the stones of remembrance of God's faithfulness to the nation and all their leaders were buried under rubble and ash. The place that once basked in the sunlight of God's promise to their father Abraham, laid motionless without hope. This is a total loss. There is no saving part of this. This is a total loss, and it's specifically because of Israel's rebellion. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep your bookmark here in Lamentations. We'll be back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Paul is writing to us. Paul is saying, I do not want you to to be unaware. I don't want you to experience this day and to come back on me and say, oh, you never told us, Paul. You never told us what was going to happen. 
Paul starts out, I don't want you to be unaware. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual fruit and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Paul says, I, or sorry, sorry, God through Paul says, I am the God who chose you to be my people. I am the God who brought you out of slavery. He's 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 recalling all of the history that God did for the nation of Israel. I'm the God that brought you out of the slavery. I'm the God who was with you as the cloud by day and fire by night. I gave you a physical picture that I was with you here. I gave you my physical presence that I was with you there. I am the God who delivered you from the Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea. I am the God who fed you and provided water for you when you had none. I am the God who crumbled the Jericho walls. I am the God who gave you the promised land. And because that, you are supposed to worship me. Not this world. Not the things that you have created. Not the temple. Not the buildings. Not the priests. Me. But oh, how distracted we become. Turn with me to Exodus 32. We're going all over this morning, guys. Exodus 32. By this point, God has, he, he has just given the Israelite men some very specific skills. He's given them skills in the knowledge of craftsmanship, artistic design, uh, gold, silver, metal, and bronze work, in cutting stones for building, in carving wood for every craft for a specific purpose. And this is in 31, where, where I'm just paraphrasing here, but it says it's to build the tent of meeting and specific objects for it. The skills that God gave them had a purpose. As the place where God would dwell with his nation. When we pick up in, verse 30, in chapter 32, their leader Moses was away on Mount Sinai, where God was giving him the commandments on stones, and the Israelites get restless. Chapter 32, 
When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Moses is out of town. We're going to the next guy. (laughs) We're going to the guy that we can manipulate. They said to him, up, get up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Bring all the gold jewelry that you have. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold for the, uh, from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember Paul's quote in 1 Corinthians. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down For your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have, what does he say, corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. It didn't take them long. This wasn't a a long, drawn-out process. He says they have turned aside quickly. In a moment's notice, they rebelled. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. That sounds familiar. Isn't that how I started my message this morning? Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. Wow. Don't miss the last verse. The last part, the last part, the last part of it. In order that I may make a great nation out of you. Number two, calamity under the hand of God exposes life without the divine protection of God's covering. Calamity under the hand of God exposes life without the divine protection of God's covering. Verse three, back in Lamentations, Jeremiah says, he has cut down in fierce anger all the might of of Israel, not some, not a third, not a portion. He has cut down all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand. And when does he do it? When they're in the face of the enemy. He is burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. 
In his anger, God momentarily removed his favor and protection from Israel and allowed them to be fully consumed by their enemy. At the most dangerous point, when the enemy is in their face, when destruction is knocking at the door, because of Israel's rebellion, God removes his divine protection. He removes his right hand of protection from the nation of Israel and allows them to be destroyed. The men of war have been killed. There's no more earthly protection. The king has been captured. There's no more political protection. The king's sons and all of his officials have been slaughtered before his eyes. The king's eyes have been gouged out of his face and his wrists and ankles have been shackled for his imprisonment until he later dies. There's no more spiritual protection. There's no more earthly protection. There's no more political protection. God has made his people as vulnerable and as needy, as dependent upon him as possible. You see, sometimes it takes God stripping us of everything that we have to see that he is everything that we need. The three things that Israel had faith in, God removed. And when he removed it, he caused utter calamity. A famine was so great that there was no food in the land, according to Jeremiah. No food. Not that there's no chicken breast at Meyer today. Sorry. <laughs> not that there's no, my, my favorite coffee creamer's not in stock today. I'm cracking on my wife right now. I'm sorry. There is no Food on the shelf. Nothing. The women, children, and infants of a once beautiful, prosperous nation were thrashing in agony as their bodies shut down from malnourishment. They watched helplessly as their fathers, husbands, and sons were slaughtered by the invading army. They cried out to God, and now at this point they say, God, where are you? Jehovah, where are you? Yahweh, where are you? But all they heard was static. All they heard was static. Number three. Calamity under the hand of God brings suffering and death, both physically and spiritually. Calamity under the hand of God brings suffering and death, both physically and spiritually. Verse 4, Jeremiah recounts, he says, He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. 
In his fury, God's judgment killed priests. It killed princes and princesses, killed husbands and wives, killed parents and children, killed young men and young women. Jeremiah, in his emotion in this verse, he cries out to God and he says, your wrath makes you feel like an enemy. God, right now where you have us, your wrath makes you feel like an enemy. It makes you feel, it makes it feel like you are, you're posted up as an archer, he says, in your right hand, the bow isn't just sitting stagnant, you have actually hooked on and you've pulled that thing back and you have us in your sights right now, God. You have intentionally drawn your bow back against us, against the people that you have promised prosperity. And now, what are we supposed to do? God, you stripped it all away. You've taken it all from us. He says, God, just relax your right hand. Just take the pressure off. Just take the weight off of the string. God, just let it go. Just please straighten your bow. Even in the darkest hour under the calamity of God, he was still for them and not against them. Even in the darkest hour under the calamity of God, he was still for them, not against them. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, he says, he has bent his bow like an enemy. With his right hand set like a foe. He doesn't say that God has, his, has bent the bow as an enemy. He doesn't say that God has bent the bow as a foe. He's describing the emotional toll that the calamity is taking on him and his nation. Even in the darkest hour, he was still for them, not against them. Job said it this way in chapter 13, verse 15. He says, in the King James, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Even when God slays me, I will trust in him. And then he continues, and I will maintain my ways before him. I will continue on in obedience before him, following his commands, following his statutes, even if he slays me. Because in my finite mind, I am not able to comprehend what is good for me. In Israel's finite mind, they could not comprehend what was good for them. Job says, even though what he is causing or allowing to happen right now is killing me, 
I will trust it. I will continue to press on. I will endure the suffering. Paul says it this way in, in Romans 8. Let's jump there for a minute. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Told you we were going all over the place today. Romans 8, 28. I want you there. I want you to see this text. Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know, underline know, what do you know? And we know that for those who love God, for a specific group of people, we know something about a specific group group of people. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, what? Conformed to the image of his son. Why? Paul just links it all together. I love it. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He says, and we know this. Right, church, today we have to know this. We have, it has to be more than a head knowledge. It has to be something that has actually taken control of our heart, something that has capacitated our minds, taken us to a point where, God, this is your truth. I don't care about anything else. I'm going to be anchored in this word. Says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, how many things, church? All things, the good, the bad, the calamity, the blessing, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you are saved, if you are under God's covenantal promises, all things, every single thing, good and bad, work together for good. Good. Now why? Why would he have both good and bad things work together for good? Because, Paul says, God has a purpose in your calling. God has a purpose in saving you. His purpose in saving you is not to fill up a church building. His purpose in saving you is for a specific reason. What is that purpose? Paul lays it out. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and he did that to be conformed to the image of his son. Paul says the purpose for your calling, the reason for your calling, is conformity to the image of Christ. So if that conformity takes pain, hunger, sadness, poverty, loss, it's all worth it in God's eye. God will use any means necessary to conform his children to the image of Christ. 
any means necessary. It's totally worth it. And our last principle, number four, calamity under the hand of God is designed to lead to mourning and lament. Back to verse 5 of Lamentations chapter 2. Jeremiah says, The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. They're gone. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. This is rock bottom, church. This is total loss. God has executed his judgment. God has taken everything from Israel. But look at the reaction. He has multiplied, Jeremiah says, he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. God's wrath triggers our mourning and and lament, which is designed to lead to submission, obedience, and ultimately God's glory. One more text. we got to wrap this up. 1 Peter 5.10. You don't have to go there. Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God of what? All grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He has called you, he has called you to become a specific glory. His eternal glory, that God, he says, Peter says, will himself, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In the moment of destruction, in the moment of calamity, in the moment when God has removed everything that you could possibly hold on to, both spiritual power, political power, physical power, when God has removed all of it, At that very moment, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your suffering is not random. Your days are not random. He has called you to an eternal glory. God, who is unlimited in grace to lavish upon you, has called you out of darkness, out of your depravity, and appointed you to eternal glory. Once you are called through our suffering, we are restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established in Christ, even if it hurts. I'm not sure if anyone told you that when they told you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not sure anyone told you that the way that he's going to conform you to his image is going to be through some suffering. But this morning, church, we can, re- we can rejoice in the fact that no matter where we are, Whether this morning we're here, we're on the hilltop, we're on the mountaintop, we're rejoicing for God's faithfulness, or we're in the valley. It is totally meaningful. 
It is not random. Neither place is random. The God of all grace, through the place that he has you, is restoring you, establishing you, strengthening you, and conforming you to his image. In closing this morning, I have a few questions for us. What monuments have you created that God is asking you to tear down? You get to have a special song this this morning. Let these questions run through your mind. What monuments have you created that God is asking you to tear down? Because once he's called you, once he's saved you, he's going to tear those monuments down. What's he calling you to tear down? Are you and your family living under the divine protection of the God of this universe? Or have you taken yourself out of alignment? Are you prepared to suffer in order to be conformed to the image of Christ? Are you prepared to go through that? Is, that, is it going to surprise you when you suffer? Paul says, don't be surprised when you suffer. In fact, rejoice because that's the closest relationship to Christ you can have. And this morning, God has drawn you to Christ. What's your response? What's your response? Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.